welcome to the GVA Legal Podcast. My name is Jean Kambuni and I'm your host. There has been a lot of hue and cry in the media about the Finance Bill 2023. So today we want to unpack it for you and discuss the implications for the taxation and operating environment of businesses and individuals. In studio with me is Edwin Rosana. He is the Regional Accountant for Albo East Africa Limited. Welcome, Edwin. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you for being here. And I want us to get right into the discussion because this is topical and this is important for us as employees and even as employers. So broadly, what is the Finance Bill 2023 all about and what provisions make this Finance Bill different from the previous bills? Thank you. In a nutshell, the Finance Bill 2023 is an act of parliament that amends the laws and regulations related to various taxes and uh, duties. This happens every year. Hence the connotation of the name Finance Bill 2023. So, but the key thing, like you mentioned at the beginning, is that uh, this particular one has really raised a lot of heat. And uh, the reason why it has raised a lot of heat is because it goes on ahead to have um, implications in terms of broadening the tax base and also uh, deepening the tax base. So, if I was to jump in and explain what broadening the tax base in this case would mean, it has included a number of people who are not within the tax base into the tax base. So basically, we're looking at them as new taxpayers. Case in point are the digital content creators. Uh, the new introduction uh, is that they are supposed to have a 15% withholding tax on incomes and by them. Initially, they weren't. And the reason why... A case in point, this would raise uh, quite some heat is that uh, digital content creation is a space within which a lot of uh, young people are coming through. They are doing their podcasts, they're doing uh, their videos, they're doing their TikToks, they're doing all these things. It's it's a new thing on the block and uh, many young people have embraced it. So all these young people who've embraced it are now being brought into the tax uh, bracket. So that is why you actually see that uh, it's one of the areas where the tax base is bronded. I could also give another example. Uh, we're looking at uh, members clubs. Uh, members clubs originally were not being taxed if 75% of their income is derived from the members. So that means if a minimum of 75% of your income comes from your members and say 25 comes from outside the membership, then you are originally not getting taxed because it made sense. In any case, I'm the one contributing for the service that I am. I am getting. This is my club. So why would you tax yourself? You know, it's like taxing, uh, moving money from your left pocket to your to your right pocket. But right now, with a new proposal, if you're a member's club, you'll be taxed for, on your incomes just outside of uh, joining fees, welfare contributions, and subscription. Everything else will actually be taxed. If you belong to a uh, to a member's club, you know, there are times you go in there, you buy food, you know, you're able to buy your refreshments, pay for some other services. All these now will be subjected to tax, regardless of the contribution of that income by either the members and all. Yeah, those are some of the things that uh, have made the finance bill uh, 2023 raise a lot, of, a lot of heat. But basically, we have finance bill every year. And, you know, um, when you go back to that, um, um, the tax, there's also another tax that they've added, the digital asset tax. So like for NFTs and for um, cryptocurrency, which also did not exist before. But I want to go back to the tax that we're talking about for content creators, digital content creators who are mostly young people. And normal withholding tax is 5%. Yes. Like, why would you put 15%? I feel like that feels excessive to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 
in a sense it does yeah uh, it actually feels excessive because um uh, withholding tax for other services you're looking at other services such as um management and consultancy is at 5% but this one is going to 15% but you tend to get the feeling that the reason why they were doing this is because uh, they tend to look at it in the sense that uh, for this digital uh service uh, content creator they're not likely to get anything beyond that you know because for proper consultancies for proper companies in as much as you're taxed 5% at the end of the year, you maintain your proper books of records and you'll be subjected to the income tax uh, 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 regulations and all. But for content creators, I think, uh, in a sense, they're trying to think this is the most they can be able to collect. And this is the one be, time I'm going to get you. This is the one time I'm going to get you and I'm not going to get you after this. Well, I can see that. Yeah. Now, I want to ask another question, and this one takes us to the most contentious. Yeah. So I want us to begin with discussing the contentious provisions. Mm. What are some of the, before we get there, what are some of the good things? Are there any wins or any good proposals in this particular finance bill? They're there. Um, there are few, and they are spread apart. <laughs> Case in point is that uh, you're looking at uh, rental income tax. Rental income tax is levied currently at 10%, and uh, the people who are subjected to 10% of the rental income are those who make between a minimum of 288,000 shillings per annum all the way to 15 uh, million shillings per annum. Basically, if I would translate that to per month, anybody earning a rental income of between 24,000 shillings and 625,000 shillings is subjected to 10% income tax. The reason why they did 10% is you give us 10% and that is it. So that now you do not have to come and do your books of accounts end of the year because the 10% is a final tax. So for this particular provision, the tax rate has been reduced to 7.5%. So the tax rate has moved from 10% to 7.5%. So this is a a major win, I would say, to the landlords. And of course, you do not expect that to translate to your rent as a tenant. <laughs> you know, we don't see that reducing and going back to the tenant. So the landlord in this case is on the winning side. You're also looking at um, <clears throat> excess duty on telephone, on internet, and also on uh, mobile money transactions. These are money you move between your bank and your uh, mobile money. Uh, the excess duty is moving from 20% to 15%. It's a reduction, yes, but um, are we likely to feel that reduction? Uh, probably not, yeah. So uh, I would say, yes, there are a few good things that um coming from, um, what is it called? The Finance Bill From the Finance Bill 2023. And of course, you're looking at... Um, LPG. LPG, the VAT is moving from standard to exempt. That means uh, the 16% will, will disappear. But just to mention this maybe to our listeners is that when the VAT moves to exempt, that means the producer cannot be able to recover his uh, input VAT. It's only that he cannot charge VAT hence uh, by extension reducing the price, but he cannot be able to recover his input VAT. And in cases where you're not able to recover the input VAT, you tend to pass that cost forward. Yes. Yeah. So in terms of real implication of um, that, uh, those benefits, it's going to be minimal. Because yes, uh, there's no longer 16% VAT on LPG, but I'm unable to... Uh, because it's exempt, I'm unable to recover my income input VAT. 
So some of those costs tend to move forward. So in terms of um, um, in terms of benefits, very minimal. And allow me to just squeeze in one last one: um, the inflation adjustment. Um, <clears throat> This was very interesting practice that uh, the Kenya Revenue Authority would actually adjust the excess duty to reflect the inflation of the country. You know, so the taxes were being adjusted uh, upward depending on the inflation. These are excess duties; they were being uh, adjusted to, with the inflation. Uh, what that meant is that uh, tax payments were uncertain, right? Because you start your year, you're doing your company, you're doing your budgeting. And then you're not even certain because once a year, the taxman would come and adjust the, the excess duties based on the inflation. Now that power has been taken away. The uh, gain in this is that now companies can be able to plan. When we're starting the year, we know we're starting the year. These are the excess tax rates and they will remain the same and they will not be adjusted according to inflation. Uh, to inflation. But uh, I find that adjustment according to inflation a very interesting uh, exercise that we used to do that was was particularly very interesting. How do you adjust taxes to inflation? You're like, our inflation has gone high, so our duties, excess duties will also go high. Yeah. So that's a major win that companies now will be able to uh, plan and uh, execute accordingly. Now I want to go to um, one of the very contentious issues, at least in the media and in the eye of the public, and that's payslips. Yes. Now this particular finance bill has proposed changes in income tax um, at a time when other changes are also being made or proposals are being made that have an impact on payslips. So how significant is the impact of all these changes on the payslips, especially now that, as you're saying rightly, Kenyans are really feeling the cost of living? Okay, yeah, like you said, um, Kenyans are really feeling the cost of living, but the salaried Kenyans will really also feel the cost of living because uh, their pay slips are going to be raided in a big way. Uh, There's a small group, very small group of uh, people who earn over 500,000 shillings a month. Um, The amount above 500,000 shillings a month will be taxed at 35%. Uh, The highest tax rate we had before that was 30%. So that group of people will feel a 5% uh, uh, increase in their in their taxation. And um, for that level of income, uh, the amount is significant to them. You know, we are looking at amounts uh, that, that they will feel the significance. But again, you said uh, it's a small group of Kenyans for that, but for those guys, they will feel. And then if you look at other things like uh, NSSF, NSSF starting uh, in uh, February this year, the amount, the rates uh, changed early this year. Yeah, we're starting early this year. The amounts changed. They moved from a minimum of 200 shillings being deducted all the way to 1,080 shillings being deducted. Yeah. What um, a number of people don't seem to realize, especially about NSSF, is that um, this is the beginning. The whole plan, if you look at the NSSF Act and regulations, was to get the deduction to be 6% of the employee's salary coupled with a 6% match by the employer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the 1,080 shillings deduction is a start. So there is a, fl- uh, a glide path within which the deductions will keep increasing up until they get to, uh, 6%. to 6% of the deduction. So 6% of the deduction will be done on your salary while your employer contributes the same. Of course, just to mention on that is that if you already have a pension, at some point, um, uh, you will not, uh, 
it will have to be a minimum of the same 6%. So if your pension is less than the 6%, it will have to be uh, increased to match the 6%. So that is one of the places employed salaries will also uh, get a hit. Then you're looking at NHIF. The new regulations um, are actually undergoing uh, public participation with the view of implementing them. What happens with NHIF is that uh, at current, anybody earning over 100,000 shillings is deducted 1,700 shillings as contributions to NHIF. However, with the new um, with the new regulations and all, the rate is going to change and it's not it's going to be a percentage. So the percentage changes to 2.75% of your earnings. So in this case, uh, someone who was doing... Um, 100,000 shillings used to contribute 1,700. That is 1.7%. But now, if they do 2.75%, they'll now have to contribute 2,750. 2,750 shillings will be the contributions to NHIF. And the people now above that, their contributions now even go much way higher. higher yeah and then of course uh, this one also includes non-salaried uh, uh, kenyans because nhf is now going to be compulsory for anybody above uh, 18 years old they'll have to do a contributions towards nhf and of course uh, the con- uh, the elephant in the room the housing <laughs> levy yeah yeah so the housing levy at uh, 3% um uh, deduction and uh, subsequent contribution by employer, but capped at 5,000 shillings. So uh, the overall impact is that uh, the pay slip is going to get a hit. It's going to get a hit from um, it's going to get a hit from NSSF. It's going to get a hit from NHIF. And if the regulations pass there as they are, it's going to also get a hit from the housing levy. For the people above 500,000 shillings a month, uh, the heat is already there. Yeah. So what will happen is uh, your income remains the same and uh, the taxes and the deductions increase. increase. Significantly. So what happens is your overall disposable income uh, greatly reduces. reduces. Yeah. And then also something that uh, is on the same point, but if you think about it from now, the employer's point of view, if I'm, if as I'm an employer, I'm going to be required to do all this matching and all these um, uh, contributions towards your employees' various uh, schemes and all, at the point of hiring, then you might have to reconsider what you want to do as your payment to your employee. So say if initially your budget was... Uh, 100,000 shillings for these, um, uh, for example, for an employee joining your firm. And then you look at it, uh, this employee coming in and um, uh, will have to do 6% on their NSSF. Then I'll have to do another 3% on their um, housing levy. So you're looking at 9%. On 100,000 shillings, that's already 9,000 on top. So employers might even want to consider and uh, when they're offering you, then they'll be telling you, uh, actually, our offer is 90,000, you know. Because they factored in the 6% and the 9% so that uh, it can go and uh, become a maximum of what uh, they had originally intended. So again, to the employees, uh, your disposable income keeps going Going down. down. So the impact on uh, the payslip is going to be massive with these Um, finance bill 2023. Now I want to turn this to the other side and talk about, I think this will affect you personally as an accountant and um, to the employers. And I want to talk about the the contentious requirement of the finance bill for real time 
processing of payments like withholding tax. How practical is this provision and what are the implications for businesses and corporates in terms of compliance? Now, in terms of uh, compliance with that um, regulation um, suggestion, it's um, you would say this is one of the things that was not well thought through. Um, the idea is to make sure that the government is getting money real-time, but the whole execution of doing it real-time within 24 hours, actually, it's one of those things that uh, will really be a struggle. Because if you think about it, um, by the time they're saying within 24 hours, that means you have to be making payments every day. When you come to corporate governance, people... Um, the, the various levels, as in uh, walking to any corporate, there's somebody who raises uh, the payment request and then it's a it's normally would have to be reviewed by a line manager. Then the line manager, probably somebody else above the line manager would do the review. And once the review have been done and, uh, and passed on, then the people who, and in this day and age, a lot of uh, our transactions are going through an RTGS system or an EFT system. Basically, we're moving our money in uh, in an online fashion, especially for corporates, you know, and a few other corporates who do checks as well, they're still there. So by the time it's it's gone through review, it's been approved, uh, the signatory of the check has signed, you know, and they have to do that every 24 hours, you know. So what happens on the days they're not at work, right? What happens uh, uh, to the signatories logging in and Basically, this uh, regulation, what it does is that it tends to imagine that uh, companies will be able to execute that. And that is one of the regulations that will have a big difficulty in executing. Let me throw a spanner in the works. So what happens when you do a, a transaction on Friday evening? So you have to get everybody else on that line to come, review, line manager, the manager after that, you know, corporate governance structures and the bank signatories and the checks signed and then... Uh, it's Saturday. You have to find somebody to go to the bank to make those payments at the bank or to do those RTGS transfers. So basically, it um, it's one of the horrible provision that they put there. It wasn't uh, well thought through. Uh, the minimum they would do is weekly, you know, so that at least people can plan and all. Because the whole idea of them telling you you can remit by the 20th of the following month is that you're able to plan yourself so that Every month you're doing your transaction, you're doing your withholding taxes, you know, you're planning to make your payments and then eventually making your payments. And this is because largely of corporate governance issues. Corporate governance issues require that you that you actually do uh, have these levels of review. So basically it's it's impractical. It's going to become a headache. It's going to it's going to be a nuisance, basically. So this, for me, if there's anything that really, really must be changed, it is this one. Well, I agree with you. This would be a very administratively cumbersome provision. And um, I have to say that the finance bill is still going through the legislative process. So I have some hope that um, this this provision might not be enacted. However, if it is enacted, then I would say that um, prudence would dictate that we have to start thinking through systems that we would need to put in place to in order for us to comply with it, were it to come into force. And what this means practically is that any time from the date when um, this provision were to come online, any payment would may, uh, that would be made would need for us to make that payment, that um, for us to remit the tax the next day. So we'd have to start thinking through those processes you're saying and trying to put everyone online yeah, we in can, the system. We can, but eventually, you know, if you think about it, um, even from an accounting point of view, I'm an accountant, we can do payments every day. 
that's why you go into organizations that have some sense of uh, structure. They're like, we do payments on this day and on this day so that you're able to do other things because there are many other things you need to do. You know, as from an accounting point of view, you know, they are sitting doing payments every day. You have organizations with one accountant. So what happens when he's on leave? Yeah, that would be tricky. Yeah, what happens when when the accountant is on leave? That means the accountant will never be on leave, right? Even the signatories, what happens when they will leave? That's why they these need to be planned. That's why for me, I said should really push come to show. They should make it a weekly or a fortnightly thing, so that within two weeks, maybe even if you on leave, you could find a way to to do your your returns and your payments because. It's not only a question of doing payments. You have to do the returns. So the accountant needs to be in place. So if the accountant is not in there to do the returns, and no, the second person who's supposed to review. Basically, for this to work, that means anybody within that supply chain must be present. Must be present at work every day. And for transactions that happen on the, on Saturday and on Sunday, okay, maybe on Sunday they'll find uh, people back to work on Monday. Yeah, but uh, you can see it's really cumbersome. It's really cumbersome. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you our final question. And our final question is because we are a legal podcast, we have to look at the legal implications that this act has. And one of those contentious provisions is what we call pay to play provisions. So the finance bill has a proposal for taxpayers to to pay at least 20% of the tax in dispute. So if you have a tax dispute, I will provide a security of a similar amount when making an appeal from the tribunal to the high court. Now, will this provision serve its intended purpose? And I know this may be out of your ambit, but just looking at it practically, will this provision serve its intended purpose of unlocking taxes that are held up in disputes? Or um, what are the implications for businesses, you know, where you have a tax in dispute and you must pay 20% of it before while, while you're still negotiating <laughs> that you owe that amount? That's a very interesting question. And um, I'd look at it from various angles. Number one, um, why would somebody ask you to pay 20% of the amount beforehand when you're going for a tax tribunal, you know, when you're doing your appeal? What is the implication of that? Even legally, are you trying to say I'm already I'm already guilty, you know, so I need to pay my 20% and then after the ruling, I'll have to pay 80%, you know. Uh, the rule of law uh, is that you're innocent until proven not guilty, but this implication even legally, what it does is that it... Uh, it reverses that. It, it's actually you're guilty until proven. Innocent. Innocent. Like you know. admission of guilt. Yeah. And then the other thing, if you look at it from another aspect of you looking at it from this angle, it can create room for corruption, right? Here I am being asked for 20%, which probably 20% I don't have. So the, um, the taxman um, um, staff who are dealing with me, there's likely room for people to try and uh, pull them on the side and, uh, you know, have a gentleman's agreement on the side because the 20% is punitive. Then the other thing, if you look at it, is the main reason why you're actually going for a tax tribunal, right, is because you're disputing that amount. I would actually give um, a case in point. Um, I I'm looking at this from an angle where uh, if you ever look at the VAT Act, uh, VAT is deemed to have incurred at the earliest of issuing an invoice or receiving a payment, you know, or delivering a good or service at the earliest. So if you have a case in point where somebody is selling stuff on credit, right? So the person selling stuff on credit is supposed to receive the money um, much later on. Actually, if you look at it from a higher purchase point of view, they, they receive their amounts later on because they receive their money 
in installments over a period, say even over one year. So such a person being accosted and uh, for not having remitted uh, their taxes uh, because uh, they're supposed to have remitted based on the earliest of either issuing an invoice, delivering a service, or receiving a payment, they already don't have that cash flow. Then you come and tell them, now for us to even go into this dispute, we need the money. But um, if you think about it and if you listen to the proponents of these provisions, they've been saying that the reason why they're doing this is because uh, some of these tax tribunals take long and uh, some people find a way to make them take longer so that they avoid paying taxes. Yeah, But if you think about it, then the solution is to make the tribunals take a shorter time. Why are the tribunals taking a longer time? For me, ideally, that is what we should be fixing, rather than because the tribunal will take long and it's your tribunal, you know, yeah, if it takes long, you're, you're the one responsible for why it's taking long in the first place. Rather than fix uh, why it is taking long, we cannot come and ask people to, to come. I know initially I'd say the, that other provision is the one that should really be changed, the one on uh, collecting, but this one should also really, really be changed, you know. <laughs> And, and in fact, I think that um, were this provision to pass, there will be um, a lot of litigation on its constitutionality because there already is a decision from the Supreme Court that states that um, no one should be required to pay a security in order to access justice. And, uh, that, and that decision has already been made and that you should not be required as a prerequisite to accessing justice to make any amount of payments of a security for cost or a security of any nature for the purposes of litigating a matter in the higher courts. So just by virtue of that decision, Decision, I feel like we are protecting Kenyans and just putting it in there goes against uh, an existing provision of law. Exactly. And now, uh, also maybe just to say something else that um, that relates to the same legal things. Um, if you think about it right now, the Finance Bill 2023 uh, is going to um, disallow expenses that are not supported through by the E-Teams compliant invoices. So basically, as a company, if I'm receiving an invoice that does not have uh, ETIMS compliant, I am not supposed to deduct those expenses from my expenses. So that what that means is two things. Number one, it was going to increase tax based on the fact that uh, if I have an expense that is not uh, ETIMS compliant supported, then that expense is not allowed. And the other implications is that if I do... Uh, if we go through this route, what that means is that we'll force everybody to to be ETIMS compliant. And ETIMS compliant means you're going to be VAT compliant. And uh, so everybody, by, by, by the passage of this finance bill 2023, basically we, through the back door, we are pushing everybody to VAT registration. And VAT registration, by the law, is very clear. You're either supposed to do it voluntary or if your turnover in a year is more than 5 million shillings. But think about the newspaper vendor to your office. The newspaper vendor drops you a newspaper, uh, say two copies of the newspaper every day, and maybe charges you 300 shillings in a day. And uh, he does that Monday to Friday, 20 days a week, you're looking at 6,000 shillings, right? So when he um, charges you 6,000 shillings, because he is not registered for VAT, that expense is not allowed in your books. So there are going to be two implications for that. Implication number one, number one, kick him out and get somebody who's registered for VAT. Of course, that increases VAT and also disenfranchises uh, the small traders. And number two, that small 
same trader might decide to now register for VAT so that he's compliant. So he's been forced uh, by the Finance Act to actually register for VAT. For VAT. So from a legal point of view, uh, in as much as you're being told you have an option of registering or not registering depending on your size, then that option is again taken away. So from yeah, there. that's the other thing I wanted to just mention in terms of legal implications similar to the one that requires you to do to uh, a 20% deposit uh, as you're waiting for your appeal to, to finalize you know. Thank you for that. That brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank my guest, Edwin Rosana. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to have uh, shed some light on, on this and I hope uh, the listenership will be able to feel enlightened and know a thing or two about the implications. Thank you for that. I'm your host, Jean Kambuni. Tell us what you think about this episode in the comment section of our social media pages or on email. Our email address is info at gvalawfirm.com. You can also follow Gikera and Badgama Advocates on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as GVA Law Firm. Thank you again for joining us on the GVA Legal Podcast.